What, you want me to teach you something? You want to learn something? You talking to me? Just talking? Well, what's the show about? It's about nothing. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Much Talk About Nothing, a show about movies, music, and more, where we continue on our endless journey in search of something to talk about. As always, I'm your host, Grant Ingram. And if you want to interact with us, you can do that by sending us an email at muchtalkaboutnothing at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at muchtalk, or at MTAN Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at muchtalkaboutnothing. And leave us a review. Our website is muchtalkaboutnothing.wordpress.com. And yeah, we post some cool articles over there and generally just kind of horse around. Anyway, joining me today for this very nonchalant, unspecial episode, it is Grant Skillen. How are you doing, Grant? I'm doing all right. Also on the website, oh, this is going to get beat, but there's me with a dash, so. Yep. Um, yeah. So well, if that's... If that's not a good enough reason to go to the website, I don't know what is. There is no such thing as a good enough reason to go to the website. Um, anyway, so this is a very unspecial episode. We just have two really cool people joining us um, who, if you're an X-Men fan, you've probably heard of. We have Eric and Julia Leewald. Um, you probably heard Mr. Houston talk about those when we had, or those guys when we had him on, or those people. Um, they're the story producers, or the story editors, actually, for X-Men the Animated Series, and writers on a bunch of things. It's just going to be a fun interview. And without further ado, here they are. So, I guess our, our first question for you guys is, um, like, how did you meet? Like, how did, how did that happen? It just... Work. <laughs> but, but not work. just at work. At work, after each of us clawed our way out here from, from our home bases, I, I was born in Wisconsin, grew up in Texas. And uh, senior year in college, someone said to me, you know, they pay people to write in Hollywood. And I know you like to write. You wanna, I'm driving to California. You want to come with? And it had never occurred to me ever to leave where I was, much less go to California. But it suddenly became the thing I had to do. Came out here, and I'll say this to me. 10 years, three of which included going to law school and two more practicing law, but 10 years to get the first crack in the door. And that was for me uh, as a writer at Disney Afternoon for that whole series of shows they had, starting with Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, Goof Troop, um, uh, Tailspin, Darkwing Duck. And that's where I got my start. The guy in the office next door was there yeah so it was it was, it was handy it was easy <laughs> and uh and she was uh she wasn't from out here so mm-hmm. we we kind because of because you weren't from out here. yeah i be, being from knoxville tennessee so it was a uh, uh felt like a couple of immigrants out here <laughs> west coast <laughs> yeah. our way around yeah uh, i started a couple three years before she did i loved movies in college and pro- did all the programming at, at college and buddy of mine and I made a low budget movie right after school and sold it out here and had big high hopes uh, and came out and just the first it's like you, you, you look all around you don't know anybody the first door that opened was a, uh, a neighbor said hey there you know I see your writer they're they, they're they're just got a lot of new shows going in Han Barbera so the UT buddy and I went over and pitched a couple things and, you know, lied about her background or whatever but we, we got <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a job, and it 
it just didn't stop for 20 years. So uh, it was a lot of a lot of friends from back back home came out and worked and in, in, in the business. So we had we had friends out here. But yeah, so we we had a meeting at uh, Disney and. Uh, and to clarify, we were writers. We were both writers. I wasn't his supervisor. He wasn't my oh, supervisor. She's trying to say that, that nobody took advantage of the other person. Yeah, we were just important we were the, these days. We, to were, make that we were the same decision. level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, can't, we can't have any of that that history. So yeah, no. So yeah. No, that was yeah. And then uh, it was a great place, uh, Disney. They had like I oh. don't know, fifty writers and a hundred artists on staff. The then. best talent I've ever. Been Wonderful a, yeah. time, mm -hmm. and one of my best buddies from uh, uh, from uh, from Birmingham. Uh, Carter Crocker. In fact, we named our son after him. Yeah. He uh, uh, he was there. He was like he won two Emmys for Winnie the Pooh. There are a lot of a lot of Southern voices there at Disney. <laughs> wow. And then they let everybody go because they figured they could save money if we were all just working at home freelance. It was a kind of early gig economy. Way ahead of the curve. Idea <laughs> around 1990. So they let us go. And the luck of it was uh, the first two jobs I got out of af after getting let go was. First, uh, released or released, yeah. let go, released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever <laughs> the wants to call it. Uh, Beetlejuice. The second season. For right? the last season. Last and season. Uh, and then X-Men for Fox. So some nice opportunities happened after we got let go from Disney. It, it definitely sounds like it. <laughs> so what made you, like, interested in writing? Because y'all talked about how you enjoyed writing, but, like, is there anything that made y'all interested in writing? I was a voracious reader as a kid, and I still am. I love reading. And, you know, again, I, I only say this because just sort of put it in perspective. Uh, we each of us grew up um, a few decades ago and <laughs> didn't have things like these handy computers or iPhones or any of these gigaws. Uh, and I was constantly carrying a, a spiral notebook with me. And at, at junior high, high, high school, whatever, and I was just writing, you know, not great american novel just little bits and pieces constantly because i loved doing that and like i said in college um you know uh, majored in english and uh continued enjoying to write worked uh, won the morrison creative writing award <laughs> uh, for poetry uh, back at texas tech but the, it, it didn't you know, again, I was not in an environment where there was a, a pathway to become a TV writer. That wasn't really an opportunity. It wasn't at least, a real thing. Well, yeah, at least it wasn't back then. I mean, nowadays, I think most colleges or universities have, if not um, a class on screenwriting, at least an yeah. understanding of what that means. Yeah. She's younger than I am, but when I was in college in the 70s, there were, there were four or five colleges in the country yeah. that had uh, film courses. Uh, I went to NYU for a semester just out of being like a semester abroad from, from UT, a place where there's a whole department that was just, you know, uh, film and writing and film production classes. And that's, of course, changed that since now every college has a film department. But um, my my dad was a professor and read to me. He's, old, uh, he's an immigrant from Germany versus via uh Argentina, and he loved old classics and would read me old mythology and, and things. And so I grew up lo loving stories, not quite figuring what that would do with my life. And then I just, in my teens, I fell in love with movies. And uh, they didn't have much of a movie uh, 
department, as I said, at UT. So I kind of made one up and did a lot of freelancing. And by the time I'd gotten out of school in 20, when I was 21, a buddy of mine and I uh, had made a real low-budget movie in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And we brought it to the distributor in New York and sold it. And so we thought, oh, this is going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we sold it for a loss. Of course, they took us to complete advantage of us, uh, uh, ignorant, naive, you know, 20s, 20-somethings. From, Fresh from Tennessee. From East Tennessee. Yeah. But, but the point was, it's, I suddenly realized, oh, there's the world out there, and maybe I could work in this place. And so uh, he, uh, my buddy came out, became a film editor here. I came out a couple of years later, and it's, it's like she says, it's a, it's a real company town. It's hard to get in. It's hard to, the idea of making a career out of it is kind of crazy. I'm sure if you talk to Larry, he didn't know he could make a career out of drawing for animation. And you just keep after it and, and be flexible. I had planned on animation. I started loving movies. I love TV shows like Star Trek, something that we have in common, mm-hmm. the original back, the old, old, old one. Um, but um, as I say, just there was an opening at Hanna-Barbera. It took a chance. They liked it. And then the problem is, if you do real well, uh, you keep getting job offers, but in your little corner, people don't often take a chance. Well, you're, you know, you play football. I don't, I don't know if you play basketball. You know, okay, well, I'm an athlete. I like to try all of them. But the people that hire you, kind of their, their asses on the line about a good choice. And if they hire somebody with a lot of experience in that little tiny corner, they're doing fine. But if you want to switch it and say, oh, well, I think I'd like to try writing an hour drama this time. Let me, uh, you know, let me do something different. And it's, it's, it's a real stretch out here. You make a name for yourself and you kind of can get stuck in that corner. The nice thing is we both love writing for animation, so it hasn't been a problem. That's wow. <laughs> that, that's, that's as someone who's grown up in like a, a a town, a small town in Alabama. I've always like dreamed of doing the whole journey across across the country to to become a writer, and that's just it's awesome to hear the story of someone who actually pulled that off. It's, wow! I jump in here and say, uh, after umpty years being in the being in the business. And living out here in Los Angeles, and career-wise, um, let me just suggest: just be nice to people. And I say that because you had a neighbor who knew you liked to write. You guys were friendly. He he told you of an opportunity. I was on a girls' softball league team for one inglorious season because I can't I couldn't can't play, but was on it with friends. And one of their friends said, "You're trying to be a writer." Um, Disney is accepting pitches and you don't have to have an agent. And I didn't even know what that was going to be, but every week. So she was nice. So she was nice and gave me that, that tip while we were playing softball. And then every week for six months, I marched into the Disney animation offices and came up with stories that I was trying to pitch them to just hook them with something. And again, I'm absolutely raw at this. I don't know what I'm doing beyond the cursory. I'm, you know, I'm writing spec scripts at home, but I don't know what, what this means. And they were very nice to me, and they, they finally one day, well, that, okay, you came up with an idea, that's interesting. Okay, can you take it to outline? Okay, came back. Okay, here are your notes. Can you take it to the first draft? <gasps> okay. 
and came back and they said, oh, um, well, we've got a, we, we're we hiring more writers. You want to you want to come on staff? And it it was a function of not being an asshole. I think that helped a lot. <laughs> Even though writing is very solitary, it is a very isolating and solitary thing uh, it, that you, you are doing it as part of a bigger piece of machinery in which you are a cog and it helps to be a decent person it's a big group effort out yeah. here yeah it, you're just you got to realize you're not writing for yourself you're writing for the show mm -hmm. and you've got a hundred other people dependent on you and you need to listen to most of them <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> most, and, yeah. and take their you know take their considerations in mind and not be precious about what you write mm -hmm. um and that's that's hard um yeah. it was really hard for me when you write when you start writing and you start pleasing yourself and you start getting excited about stuff that comes to you and the stories the first stories you tell that actually work and you're thrilled by it then to have somebody say well can you kind of turn that upside down and use a third of it and stick this other stuff in that's what you're getting paid for you're not getting paid to you get paid some for your inspiration mm -hmm. but you're getting paid primarily because they need 26 40 page scripts within a short period of time that fit what they need mm -hmm. and so fit what they need is job one and making them wonderful is job two so uh that's that was that was hard that was hard to learn but you know we got a wonderful you know career out of the whole our 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 eldest son's about turned 30 and they grew up after we got our foot in the door and after we established our career mm -hmm. it's 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 been a it's been a good long time out here wow. even so fortunate. that's that's just amazing i so if you don't mind me asking what was the the script that you pitched like how did what was the what was the thing that disney liked the, <laughs> the project? At, at the very beginning chip and, Disney, chip and dale's rescue rangers go chip and dale so um, credit to uh, Tad Stones and Bryce Malick, at, who were at Disney at the time. Um, they were sort of in charge. Tad Stones was the head story editor and Bryce was like his assistant. And they were, the door was open because Disney was suddenly gonna be in the market. This was brand new back then. There hadn't been a syndicated strip of animated shows like this project you know, five days a week, you know, 13, so 65 shows. So they order. knew they were looking for 65 episodes of Chippendale's Rescue Rangers coming, and this was coming off of DuckTales, which I never worked on, but that was sort of the first one that they were going through the gate with. And <laughs> the the story that they eventually, that they eventually um, bought or hired me to do was what became an episode called Kiwi's Big Adventure. That was my first ever, ever. And the hook of that was it wasn't because it was kiwis it wasn't because it was you know something big and flashy it was because dale stubbed his toe and started gold bricking because he could get away with it and then because of that he put his friends in danger and suddenly it became oh it's not about for me click it's not about you know big shiny things or big blowy up things it's it's about what's happening with the characters around you know what, what's going on with your characters and that was the moment where it's like oh Okay, everything else is is um, window dressing, but what are the characters, and what can you do with those characters, and how they interact with each other? And yeah. that was my first lesson. And it was the same on all our, our shows. I mean, the X Men show, you wanted to have uh, big explosive action, mm -hmm. and you want to have mutant powers, mm -hmm. but it all had to do with who the characters were, and and that was well, my my first one that my friend John Loy from from Knoxville and I sold 
the first story. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but it was for a, a Hanna-Barbera show called Challenge of the Gobots, which you all, I'm sure, have completely uh, memorized by now. It was perfectly. At night, the middle of the 80s, there were two transforming vehicle shows. There was Transformers and Challenge of the Gobots. There was there was also challenges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gave us this wonderful challenge that uh, okay, we got the story in, and the story was uh, the um, whose name I forget, but it about half halfway through their production season was um, had a kid who met Leader One, who was a fighter jet and transformed into our, our main hero. And the bad guy was about to blow up the planet with some super weapon. And the kid's father was missing. And you found out that the kid's father was working for the villain. And the kid looks up to Leader One and said, Leader One, is my father a bad man? And Leader One's, no, son, you know, he's been kidnapped and roped into this. And I'm sure he's a fine person. And they go and they save the father. And, and it's true that he wasn't a bad man after all. But the hook of the show for the group of eight-year-olds that my boss ran it by with you know 30 other show ideas was oh i don't want to think about my band being bad band. so that seemed to be something oh yeah that will we go with that story and and it was the first one animation is different to write they're mm -hmm. different it's very visual you're writing for the artists that are more than you are for the for the audience and there are lots of red marks on that first draft of that script for me and for john we, John has also had a 35-year career in animation, so it worked out for both of us. That one script with the boy with his dad opened it up for about 700 each for 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 us. It was it was a good it was a good investment. Wow, <laughs> that's obviously that show has continued to run and spawn a multi-movie franchise, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a famous line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, if only. <laughs> <laughs> so you you mentioned that after you were you were released from disney you you got into the x-men how like how early on in that process was it because i i know larry had mentioned that um like it, it got kicked around for a while and it got kicked out and then it finally got brought back in um when fox leadership changed at what point did you kind of come along in that process Back in 1992, there were three major networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, mm -hmm. and there were some syndicated channels depending on where you lived. Almost nothing else. And if you were a kid, your, your appointment viewing was getting up on Saturday morning, getting your bowl of cereal, and parking yourself in front of the family TV and watching the Saturday morning cartoons on one of those three networks. Fox decided it was going to enter that arena and try and be come a major network could have been like 1989 1990 using uhf channels that they were syndicated bringing together syndicated uh, channels to become what is now yeah, fox yeah. but part of that was also they wanted a fox kids division and in doing that they uh the president of fox kids the woman tapped to do that deserves all the credit in the world named margaret lesh who came from Marvel Productions, where she was working as a producer yeah. at the Los Angeles where, Marvel office, to becoming the president of Box Kids. Yeah, that's yeah, where, where Larry worked with her. She had, uh, I mean, Stan, he was out there. They had this great, it's a great irony now, thinking back to the 80s, but Margaret was there for about six, seven years 
working at Marvel Productions, doing animated shows of things like uh, of, of what, Muppet Babies, Muppet Babies, and I think Transformers. I mean, it was big hit shows, but they could not sell a Marvel show because none of those three networks in Hollywood thought that anybody would watch a TV show with superheroes in it or a movie. Yeah. They said, you know, well, that's 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 for that's a little bit of comic book people. Those are you know pimply little guys in your basement. That's you need a much bigger audience than that. So no, Margaret, you and your Marvel people stop pitching us these shows. Stop telling us that Spider-Man's going to work. Stop telling us X-Men's going to work. Uh, don't bother us with this. Come up with another Muppet Babies. Come on, just be, stop it already. So Margaret had been through six years of that. And she got frustrated, and she she <clears throat> appropriated some money from another show, and did a pilot, a, a sample half hour for an X Men show. Mm-hmm. She sure it was going to work. It was Pride of the X Men, and she had Larry Houston and Will Minio, who are our two biggest guys on our show, mm-hmm. biggest artists on our show, uh, in charge of the art for it. It looked beautiful, but was, but they weren't ultimately in charge. There were a few people ahead of yeah. them. Yeah, so we're Mark, making critical changes that were yeah, wrong. Yeah, so business people and, and merchandising people and other people uh, changed the story around a bunch. And by the time the thing came out, it was like a 22-minute commercial. And so it really didn't work. It didn't work like as, as, as an introduction to the characters. There was too many people in it. Too many things happened. And it just... It was for just, for it's example, just, yes. for example, uh, 1989, I think it came yeah. out. Uh, 87. 87. Uh, they made, I'm sorry. They made it in '87. It took them a year and a half, so it came out in '89. Uh, if, if you can, you can find it. It's out there, available. But the character Wolverine, inexplicably, has an Australian accent. Well, okay. <laughs> ask yourself, how did that happen? It happened because the movie Crocodile Dundee was the number one hit in the U.S. box office, and the executives above Margaret said. Kids don't know from Canadian. Make Wolverine Australian because of Crocodile Dundee. So, so there are people like there you go. Yeah, that's the <laughs> idea about about what had happened for the previous thirty years and a lot of attempts uh, to do stuff out here in Hollywood. People just didn't respect the cartoons. I mean, excuse me, the comic books that, that the animation was being made from. So when uh, there are all these frustrated people. Uh, <laughs> Margaret Flesh, who knew X-Men could be a great show and had, hadn't been able to produce it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. She gets in a position at Fox Kids. Okay, now I get to I get to choose. I'm in charge. Even there, her bosses, I don't get this. It's real adult, dark, and nothing's funny. Where's the little, where are the little kid characters in it? It's, it's too confusing. Kids aren't going to follow. Yeah, they won't be able to follow this. It's just okay. But she pushed and pushed and said, I put my job on the line to do this. She hires Will and Larry, who had been working with her for years. On the art side. On the art side. And she gets the thing committed to. And I got a call February you know, 7, 16th, the night of, saying, tomorrow morning. Because you had a meeting schedule. Yeah, I had a meeting schedule. Oh, tomorrow morning, you're going to meet with all these Marvel people. And we're doing X-Men. At the time, I didn't, um, I said, oh, that, that's a Marvel comic, right? Because I had not picked one up. I'd read some Spider-Man. I'd read, you know, Fantastic Four, but I really didn't know it. And she, they said, yeah, just sit there and be quiet, shut your mouth, and we'll get through this three-hour meeting with all, you know, all the people putting money in and all the Marvel people who are going to be worried about if you're going to screw up their comic book or not. We trust your tone of writing. Because I've done a year of Beetlejuice for them. 
and it was more adult and it was more serious and with a uh Again, with a bunch of Southern writers, with two, <laughs> two brothers from Tennessee, uh, right, yeah. the, the, the guy from uh, 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 Birmingham. Uh, so and it, whatever, uh, we, I just spent the last year working with them and they said, okay, well, you feel like you've got the right take on it. Learn this stuff fast and, and keep quiet at the meeting. So my introduction to X-Men was being dropped in the deep end of the pool and said, you are too much behind give us a TV show. We've got, it's, we've got air dates in September. And you had been hired on or because they wanted to have you on hold, but you were told you were going to be in charge of a different series. Uh, uh, and then it was the night before that meeting for yeah. that other series that you're called. No, no, it's going to be a Marvel show. It's going to be X-Men. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> huh? So, and again, no internet. Uh, we, we had computers, but they were big, honking. There was nothing, nothing on them either. You, <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could type research, you could type papers on them, but there was no web to look at. It was Sunday night, so there's no comic book store to go to. Yeah. So I really had to go there and just kind of nod. And, and my head writer, uh, Mark Edens, that worked with me to lay out the first season. At our dining room table in our home, because there were no offices. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, was to, it's the same thing. He didn't know the characters either. Luckily, there's a huge Larry Houston knew them backwards and forwards. He was a, he was a comic book geek from the time he could read. And there's a big book called uh, Mar Marvel Universe 1988, which was a reference guide that all the characters and all their histories and who hated who and who was in love with who and who broke whose heart and all that. It's all there listed um, along with their powers and and etc. So. We did some heavy, heavy research really fast. He photocopied that. Yeah. This is how old, this is how primitive. Larry Houston physically photocopied black and white because yeah. that was less expensive, this whole thing, yeah. and got it to you that way because there was no facts, there was no inner, you know, was, there was facts, but that was not possible at that point. Yeah. That was a half hour it was, page, so. But yeah, it was yeah. some pr pretty primitive stuff, but mm -hmm. uh, we, so we stumbled into X-Men uh, from different sides, uh, but at the same time, Larry and Will had, been in business for 10 years and were dying to do a serious comic book mm -hmm. series and just had been been put off and been told to dumb it down or told to make it silly too many one too many times and what i think australian wolverine was the, <laughs> the straw that camel's back anyway they were ready to put their feet down mark edens and i on the writing side had been really more ambitious and tried to push previous shows we worked on and they wouldn't let us, and they wouldn't let us. And uh, and so we were ready to just not say no. So as we wrote the show, and as Will and Larry drew the show, and their people drew the show, um, there was a lot of pushback because it takes nine months to, to, to make if an episode. Lucky, if you're lucky, it takes nine months. And so everybody, <laughs> right. every, everybody's spending their millions of dollars on the show on faith that what we're thinking in our scripts and what they're drawing in their storyboards is going to be something some kids is going to like nine months from now. And we're, you know, they can't be sure we can't know because sometimes you do your best work and it just flops, but we all had faith and we were all in a position where we, and Margaret had our back saying, yeah, listen to these guys go with it. You know, they know what they're talking about. So uh, we just were all in a position that, we were going to do our show come hell or high water, and luckily, luckily it was successful because it could have not been, and then we just would have been out. I mean, we were let go anyway uh, after the first season because nobody there in, in the business affairs 
thought it was going to be successful. That's how little faith they had in the X-Men. They said, maybe 10% of your audience is going to know who these mutants are or care, and the other 90% are, are going to have to be introduced to this, and we just, we're not, we don't really think it's going to work, but Margaret wants to do it, so we'll do it. But if it fails, she's fired. <laughs> yeah, and, but, it, yeah. but it works, so. Yeah, but yeah. remember, again, 90% of the people, they can, you ask them, okay, name some superheroes. Well, you get Batman or Superman, because they were out there in the world. People knew those names. You might get Wonder Woman. You might get Incredible Hulk. Maybe Spider-Man. But you say, okay, who are, who are the X-Men? And I guarantee you 90% of the average population pool didn't know back then. They had to be taught quickly in order for X-Men <laughs> to be a success. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a crazy thing to think about today in the year 2021. Yeah, yeah back then, people didn't know them. Yeah, I mean, I grew up loving Wolverine. Like, Wolverine was like my guy. And then it just, it's weird for me to think about nobody, like, just knowing who these people were. So you, you got your crash course, it sounds like. Um, yeah. Do you, have, <laughs> do you have a favorite X-Men? 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 Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, excuse me, at first, but it, I think it all comes down to your, to your perspective. As I was trying to get a, get these stories together and get the, we ended up using 20 different writers over uh, the five years. And I was one of those writers, yeah. just to yeah. clarify. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and so so I, I had to supervise those folks and try to make sure that everybody's uh, episodes kind of fit together, that each one was different and fresh, but that there was a consistency. And so I was kind of the supervisor herding cats mm -hmm. and making sure it all fit. And so as the months went by, I more and more started to empathize with Charles Xavier because, you know, he had this big project, you know, making the world safe for mutants. And he had this house full of seven or eight very different conflicting, you know, he had a dysfunctional family of X-Men to keep focused and to try to keep from strangling each other. And so I, I, I really got, I, I came to get close to him. And it was just from that experience. On the writer's side, a lot of us uh, were big fans of Beast because he was so articulate. He was so, he was the smartest one in the room. And we all fancied ourselves as being the smartest people in the room. And there was sort of interior challenge to, um, again, go way back 30, 40, 20, 30 years. Uh, the way he would pull quotes for whatever the particular moment was, that was his call to action. You had to use a Roger's. Not a Roger's thesaurus, but yeah. a Bar Bartlett's quotation. Yeah, yeah. A book, a yeah. physical I, book I, of Bartlett's quotations. I couldn't Google it. There yeah, was no, Google. no Google for those, but those, yeah, yeah, those were fun. That's that's something that always stuck out to me. I, I always loved the, the little callbacks to Hamlet or whatever it was that week. And it's, wow. I, I can't imagine having to like actually go through a book and do that. <laughs> episode uh, a minor poet for a minor obstacle yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 and that was just something you you found you were looking for something about getting over something i don't i don't even remember and, what words you were using yeah, to find it and it came from and it came from our history we worked on a bunch of other animated shows and a lot of times in what was then called a boys action shows which they probably that's too gender specific now but that's what they're all called um the team would you know people a, a person or a team would have a call to action, whether it was Kalabunga or Gojo or whatever. And I just thought, well, 
beast leading the action here, he wouldn't say anything that simple. He'd have, <laughs> he'd, let's, let's have fun with this and make this as obscure as possible. And it was just a kind of a gag the first time just to, to make fun of the idea. But everybody liked it. Yeah. And so we all then all the writers became kind of competitive about it. Well, I could find something more obscure than that. <laughs> so they yeah, so that's that's how it, it originated. So so you your call to action was obscure literary literary references and they didn't think kids were gonna like it? Um <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It worked. <laughs> I mean Wow. I've had the pleasure of meeting a few people at some of the cons that we started going to. We had not been going to them before, uh, but uh, we've had people come up and say, "I've I, I became interested in philosophy because of Beast." I you know I became a French major because of Gambit. Or I've gone into science <laughs> because of Beast. Yeah, wow. French major because of Cajun. Yeah. But you know we've met people who are, who found some inspiration in those characters, and it's just so gratifying to hear yeah, that. Yeah, that's a cool thing. Yeah, that that's awesome. Like the, I I mean, I I know you guys like impact lives through the entertainment. I never would have thought that it would have gone that far, but that is amazing. It's just wow. I guess that really are changing lives. <laughs> so, so, what was your guys' favorite episode to write? And then, if you watch the series, what was your favorite one or ones to watch? Thanks to Disney Plus, uh, the X Men is now available for viewing because there had been years where you couldn't find it, you know, online or. But we had um, a set of the DVDs and we got to watch them recently or go through them again recently. Visually, watching it story wise, I got to say the Phoenix and the Dark Phoenix saga is just compelling storytelling. And it visually, it's just so amazing, you know, the 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 way there are fighting sequences and I still don't know how Larry Houston pulled this off but if you watch the show with an eye toward the fight sequences any of the characters <clears throat> no one is just standing there waiting for their turn to punch something every character is somehow actively physically involved with someone else and it's it's astonishing that you've got this team up against some other team and they're all, and everyone's busy I mean it's and that, it, was, it's that was the hardest that was the hardest thing to set that up in scripts yeah and it's because in a comic book you can have a big double page big splash page with 11 people fighting and each one saying something and each one thinking something all at once and a, and a kid can spend five minutes absorbing all that but it's just one picture but in a, in a tv show you have to if you brought four or five good guys and four or five bad guys into a location you have to keep servicing them or people wonder well what's beast doing or what's gambit doing he, you know, while we watch these other two people fight. So there's a huge amount of choreography. Oh my God. And I, we'd spend a lot of time breaking down, if you look back at the, the episode, breaking down episodes into only having two or three people in one place or two or three X-Men mm -hmm. in another place. So you didn't have six of them walk in and have to struggle with somebody because it just became way too complicated, certainly too complicated for our budget. And we actually, of all the things, we love watching movies. Oh. But one of the criticisms we had of the first one or two was they didn't seem to 
worry about that as much. It's like they'd have a fight and they'd have a fight. You know, Storm would be sitting over, you know, sitting in the chair, I don't know, checking her phone or something. Who knows what was going on with half of the characters? And that, it didn't seem to bug the filmmakers. It was, it, but having had to work through that for 76 episodes, it was bugging the hell out of me that they, that they, that they didn't, they didn't service everybody. They didn't make yeah. sure that, that if, if, because if you got somebody that powerful, they're not going to sit by while their friends getting beat up. They're going to do something. And you got, and you got to, you got to respect that. Speaking of other episodes, though, just the the series finale, uh, which uh, the one called Graduation Day, yeah, where Xavier have, says goodbye to each of the X Men and to Magneto, it's that still chokes us oh, up when we watch man, it. We start to cry when we oh watch. Oh my god! Because it, it's like a funeral for Xavier, and we worked the with with. Uh, I no, we, 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 yeah, we, we worked it so that everybody that meant something to Charles Xavier happened to have to end up in that room and with they, him yeah. as he's going off to, in effect, heaven. Yeah, but, it's so, just... Yeah, it tears our hearts out. And yes, we can say it's a cartoon, but good God, you know, the, it mattered. The characters mattered and their interaction with each other. Also, um, I'm a big fan of season two, and I can't remember which episode specifically, but it was in Savage Land. Oh, oh. I'm going Savage Land when when Gambit and Rogue are finally able to have their moment, and then I just love how Gambit and they're able to touch again. Gambit, love you, share. It's like, oh my god, he, he has to use a third person talking to her, talking to Rogue in that moment anyway. But they get to have their one magic little minute mini kiss before. They're yanked apart, and yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. The, a lot my, of, there's a lot of good stuff. My my favorite one. Uh, my job was to help come up with come up with the stories, mm-hmm. have writers like Julia and our Alabama and Tennessee buddies write them as fast as they can, and polish them up and polish them up and polish them up at each stage, and then deal with all the other people, like uh, you know the network censor <laughs> or the network executives or. Marvel saying, "Oh no, you're doing the, the wrong thing with Wolverine here. You got to change this. Deal with everybody's notes while protecting the writer's story and making and keeping it making sense." Mm-hmm. So I spent ninety percent of my time fixing and adjusting and protecting rather than originating uh, script pages. But I remember the story, and the hardest part of that whole five years for me was coming up with what the seventy what the idea was for each of the 76 stories get the kernel what's your kernel because because it could have been a thousand different ones and people ask mm-hmm. us that you know why did you pick those well you know we've got a deadline and we need to have 13 okayed by friday and you brainstorm and you brainstorm and you, you fo- try to focus on the characters and come up with something that's really revealing for that character like rogue story where she thinks she can l- get rid of her power and touch people where uh and, and it turns out to be a sham, but the, the slave is, islands where she, yeah, those, but, yeah. but um, the one that was my favorite that I just thought was like the, the best one I came up with was called one man's worth two parter, two parter mm-hmm. about 50 episodes in where the questions asked, what if Charles Xavier had been killed when he was 21 and the X, and that means there never would have been any X-Men. How would that change the world? And so you start out with suddenly the world's changed and it's year 5,000 or whatever, whatever year it is. And things have all gone completely to hell. <laughs> and, uh, and, or no, no, it's, I'm sorry. It's just, it's the same time. It's gone to hell. Uh, and the whole two episodes 
is the X-Men having to go back through time to try to keep him from being killed mm -hmm. so our current existence can be. But it was just, it just was, it was great. I mean, we stole from It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, that's the end of It's, it's a Wonderful Life and from a good Star Trek episode. Sitting on the edge of forever. But coming up with a something that would reveal the importance or the character of the of your cast it's just that that felt like gold those are the and if you go back and watch that the thing that kills me was the the fact that in the the horrible alternate verse storm and wolverine have found each other and are in love and are married to each other. Wow. suddenly four seasons into the x-men like it all makes sense they're supposed to be together of course wolverine and storm should be together and they sacrifice that because they don't know if it's going to happen in our world and gosh darn it you know, just heartbreaking back in our world. It, it, they saved us, but but they're not a couple. And it's just- it's, And they don't know. And they don't know. know, but we do. And yeah. I'll tell you, just the way comic book, TV animation, when you pitch that to the folks at Marvel, uh, Bob Harris really was intrigued with the idea of what if, what if Xavier hadn't lived to form the X-Men. And from that came for them, the development of the whole Age of Apocalypse comic book run. Now it came out a little bit earlier, about the same time. Yeah. And people look at One Man's Worth and go, well, that's their attempt at Age of Apocalypse. It's like, actually, that's what inspired Age of Apocalypse. And um, there you go. Yeah. That's so. amazing. <laughs> that is, I, I remember One Man's Worth distinctly. It's, I, I've always liked the idea of like, if you take away somebody, it becomes completely different. And so it's just, wow. Um, and then you guys had mentioned the Dark Phoenix saga. I have a special place in my heart for that one because Howard the Duck cameo. Um, yeah. <gasps> on, Beast. on Beast. And it's there because the artist... Um, yeah, well, one of the artists, uh, one, of our, one of our one of our main artists, and he's he's in the book. He's got pictures <laughs> in the book. Uh, one, one of our artists uh, actually had been involved in the books for Howard the Duck. So that was just a, a nice... Uh, uh, can't find it right away, little, but it's in here. Little little, little uh, tribute to him. Mm -hmm. So that was that was uh, that was absolutely intentional. Yeah. And and I, I'm sure if you talked to Larry for three hours, you heard about a lot of the stuff that he slipped in there, half mm -hmm. of which he wasn't supposed to. Yeah, he told us like he would put in cameos like Black Panther was like African mutant four, and yeah. they didn't care because they didn't know it was going to be Black Panther. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but it's a weird thing with intellectual properties. Mm -hmm. And you'd yeah. think that they would have figured out back then that, uh, you know, having people come in and, and be seen in, in a successful show will help uh, market the other guys. But they thought of them at the time as just very ex exclusively like, oh, no, 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 no. We have to save. It took a month to get the OK to put Captain America in there for one episode. You know, we're saving him for another show or. Uh, you know, the, all the rights questions would be impossible. So yeah, Larry did a lot of that stuff on the sly. Um, wow. Deadpool had just come out like while we were doing the show, and so he snuck him into a an Xavier nightmare sequence, and so you know, all sorts of things like that. Wow, that yeah. stuff like that it just amazes me. Um, so I guess sort our of artists, like uh, artists having fun in in our book. There's a there's actually a chapter that's uh, that's art the artists having fun is actually the name of the book and it has to do with their them being sneaky about stuff like that and 
or, or just, you know, putting in uh, uh, family members mm -hmm. as villains or, you know, just, just, and, and when you get adult, creative adult people together, you should let them do stuff like that. You shouldn't be rigid. And it just, it makes them better. It makes them f flourish. It's, I, I just, I, I can't imagine right the, the series without that kind of thing. And to think that the, that it was almost not there, it's weird to me. Frank Brunner. Frank, Frank Brunner is a fellow who worked on. Wrote the, or um, did the, yeah, like I believe his first appearance actually, he was the artist yeah. on mm -hmm. that. So yeah. that's why the, the shirt is on Beast at that point. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh <laughs> and there's other things too, like uh, Spider-Man, the animated series, got to use the X-Men yeah, on Spider-Man show, but we, but you were not allowed to use Spider-Man on your show. <laughs> it's just, you know, uh, they took the time and it took a couple months and it was, it was a couple years later. So I think Marvel was going through bankruptcy, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, they asked and they got permission to use the X-Men characters for that, for their crossover. And that was cool. It's a lot of fun. Oh, it was. Yeah. It's just, and, yeah. And uh, one of the, my Tennessee buddies and I, uh, got to do the the dialogue for those characters because John Semper, who was doing Spider-Man uh, for them, just, you know, he said, look, you guys did five years of these guys. Um, I've got to do this fast. Come over and help me with these, with this two-parter. And so they had the story set, but we did, we, we did the dialogue for them. That is, that is awesome. So it's almost like a continuation kind of thing. Like it, yeah, yeah. A... Like a shared universe. <laughs> Before Marvel was doing that with all the money. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess um kind of on the the one man's worth thing like if you if you could change something about this about the show like is there anything you wish you had been able to do um like besides the budget besides yeah, the budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah actually so much went right it's it's a, that's this is a tough one to ask a question on because we've each you know, larry's worked on 80 shows we've each worked on 40 something we've lost count and in the vast majority of them, major things go wrong. You know, you've got all these different people, all these different elements that need to go together to make it come, to make it work right. And so many things went right. We had the best network executives. We had the best censor. We had, we had among the best voices. Our voices were great. There are other, other uh, shows that have had excellent voices as well. We had what I think is the best underlying property, the X-Men versus any other one to try if to try to pick 76 episodes out of just pick one off the air and say GI Joe, what do you do? You got these like six guys who are shooting at somebody 76 times. Uh, I don't really know those characters very well. The X-Men, we could have done 300 stories with those characters because there's so much depth to each one of them. And there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of one of the issues for Batman with me, which was a beautiful show. Oh my God. It had animation we could die for. We would just kill for. Um, and, but they're kind of limited. Their interesting variety came from their guests, from the villains. Mm -hmm. And basically you've got Batman and Robin and Arthur. I mean, you've got this core of group. Alfred. Well, Arthur. Alfred. Jesus. I, I did Alfred. the tick, so I'm getting, putting Arthur in my head. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think the thing that was the thing that was disappointing was that fifth year when they cut the budget and the animation changed and Larry had to go and it just was 
it was kind of an afterthought. There's 65 mm -hmm. episodes that were done with basically the same team. Yeah. And we all thought it was over and we'd all written it out to be over. Speaking of written it out, the last four-parter, uh, uh, Beyond Good and Evil. Was we, supposed to be the ending of the series. That was going to end the series. And we were going to lose five X-Men. Five X-Men were going to leave at the end of that story. Four new ones were going to come in. And the show. And that over. was going to be goodbye. That was going to be the end of the Mm -hmm. And then after we'd written that, we had a call. Oh, we're going to do 11 more episodes, no, six, gonna, six and five. Which is not a full order. None yeah. of that's a full order. Somebody I mean, just got some money or, or, or sold something to somebody. And so, like, Margaret was gone now. So Margaret couldn't protect the budget. So the budget was cut. Yeah. They even changed the opening music a little. I mean, the opening credits, if you look at the fifth season. So it looks clunky. There were three or four cool stories we were still able to graduation write. day Gradu and, and that captain america story was done during that period old soldiers but, also heartbreaking. But, if, but if you ask fans they kind of come back and ask you well, what happened on that did you guys stop trying or you know what was the deal <laughs> that was that was you know we're, we're we're professionals and we do our best under trying circumstances and it might have been nice earlier to have a little bit bigger budget but i think you know sometimes in hollywood if your budgets are small Sometimes you can get away with a lot of stuff under the radar that if, if you're the A movie for the year, everybody's the second guessing all your creative decisions. If you're smaller, you know, maybe, and there's not as much money involved, they let you try things or be more creative. But, yeah. Now, there was a thing. A thing. So we, first 13 episodes, everyone, of, and I got to write oh, uh, yeah. uh, Days of Future Past Part 1, but at the end of the 13 episodes, everyone... On the writing side of the show, we're all released because hey, we don't think it's gonna, you know, good luck. But yeah, you know, thank you for trying. And then you got the call and said, "Well, guess what? We're gonna go forward." But you'd wrap the season up with with Gene and Scott at you know at a lovely sort of saying they're proposing, proposing and they're gonna get, get married. So it's like, oh, okay. When you got called back, it's like, well, obviously they're married now. Yeah. So, yeah. So we started. Mark and I started laying out the second season with with scott and gene married and gene seven months pregnant with a big baby bump you know fighting super villains and with the idea that she's like by episode three or so of that season she would have a they'd have a double mutant child and that was going to be a like a cool thing we were laying out and then then people all throughout our <laughs> our group at fox and larry and will and everybody said hold hold your horses guys and i don't know if they were just a little bit that you know they weren't forward enough thinking or whatever she said guys remember i know everybody's watching the show but our core audience are 12 year old boys and i'm not sure they want to see their mother seven months pregnant knocking around in spandex so that was the idea of which we all thought was cool you know we, we, we thought oh it'd be fun to see, see the first heavily pregnant yeah. superhero yeah uh, just that was that was shot down. Yeah. Yeah. So. We just had our second son, so <laughs> yeah. it was like it was. I think pregnancy was in the air. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That I would have liked to see, honestly. I mean, they still <laughs> haven't done it, right? Like, I, I can't no, think of any. Yeah. No, they got married in the books, but I I, I know they've had a had a strange child, but I don't. It wouldn't. It's not not what we would. We would have come with something different. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. That's um. Yeah, really wish we. <laughs> I, I want to see that like alternate universe where we get to see that. That's, wow. Well, Grant, do you have any? Do you have any more questions? 
Yes. So if you guys were offered a contract to write or direct a live adaptation for the MCU, would you accept it? And what stories would you want to do? Yes and yes. Yes and yes. And, yes. <laughs> and so, so like a live adaptation of one of the stories from the animated series show? Or, or, or just an X-Men story can, in general. It can be one you've done or it can be one that you yeah. want to do. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, we would love the opportunity. I mean, mm -hmm. we all grew up loving movies and oh. and a lot of our you know spec work you know scripts we write for ourselves 99 percent of the stuff that gets written in hollywood never gets produced it, true it, uh, very people true. write it to show that they can write or they write it to they make a sale and then it ends up not going on screen whatever so you know we think in movies a lot so that's something there and there was kind of a sad thing alan burnett who's a close friend of ours mm -hmm. who was the heart and soul behind uh, Batman the Animated Series. Mm -hmm. He was like the overall, uh, Bruce Timm and Paul Dini, in mm -hmm. effect, worked for him. And so, Alan Burnett, who I started in business with, I'm challenging the GoBots, <laughs> wow. uh, and Hanna-Barbera, um, he was he just recently retired, I believe he's in his late 60s, had, and he was asked, is there, you have one regret after having 35 years in the business and been 20 years at, uh, Warner Brothers being part of all, every one of their Emmy movies. winner, Emmy multiple Emmy winners, supervised and co-wrote some of the DVDs they mm. did. Oh yeah, they. Oh my god. Uh, those. Um, and he said, you know, I would have liked to have been asked uh, to write a live-action feature. You know, I mean, he he'd done hundreds of stories for them and mm -hmm. supervised hundreds more, and it's just it's so pigeonholed out here yeah. that it just doesn't occur to them. Oh, well, you know, we've got a Batman story. Maybe this guy that's supervised 200 of them might have, <laughs> a, you know, might, might have a clue about what to do with this story. Um, yeah, we'd, we'd love, we'd love to, but it's just, uh, it's, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to, to get across how, Oh, you're a T not, not forget about animation. You're a TV writer. Oh God. You're not a, you're not, you're not a feature writer, you're a TV writer, or reverse, you're a feature writer, you're not a, t you know, uh, so. But if anyone's listening, who yeah. has anything to do with the What If series at Marvel these days, <laughs> yeah. I got a killer one for that. Yeah. And please, Marvel, can you start making those direct-to-DVDs, home video uh, features, like Warner Brothers, like the Superman direct video, like th those those ninety minute animateds are spectacular. Yeah, that would be fun. And I've... I would love to see some X Men. Yeah, if, done that way. If you think about it, uh, what is it? The uh, Phoenix was five episodes. It was a hundred and ten minute story, mm -hmm. and Dark Phoenix was eighty eight minutes. So th those were feature length stories that we did, and it's even harder because you have to have the four the four breaks or the three breaks and have each story resolve itself along the way, the short ones. So doing a 90 minute story is not the, the issue. It's just, I don't think Marvel quite figured out how to, how to market uh, feature length ideas for, uh, for X-Men or for whoever, Captain America, whoever, mm -hmm. the way that bat, the, that Warner's did for Batman or for the justice league or, or whoever, Superman or, or Superman, Batman. those yeah. others, because they got some wonderful modest priced, you know dvds they could be cranking them out for disney channel now you know you know five a year and it wouldn't be the budget of one feature right but and i think people would like them but that yeah. that would have been something we would have enjoyed doing mm -hmm. sure 
that that's something they that I mean that's the only thing Warner Brothers has done right with DC, right? Like their their yeah. animation division. Um and uh, like that yeah, would be something I would I'd love to see. I'll um I'll have to uh, please somebody who's listening just run that by Disney. <laughs> um Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you you guys are close friends with Alan Burnett, is is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Alan Alan and Trish are a great couple. He's he's retired to Florida now, mm-hmm. from wow. from California. He so. was from Florida originally as a young man. Yeah, and uh, now I think he got back there just in time for hurricane season several years ago. But <laughs> but he 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 handles that. He's he's got it down yeah. to the science. And and he was great when I was at Hanna Barbera. He was the guy. It was you'd have difficult time dealing with uh, network executives. Again, there are only three networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. And, and NBC. And you want your most persuasive, likable, easy going. You, you want your best guy to go and say, okay, these are the, here's the new season for the Smurfs. You know, here's uh, 20 episodes. And we'd all, everybody would always send Alan. And again, that's why he went over to Warner Brothers. Gene McCurdy, who had been at, at Hanna-Barbera hired Alan because they were kind of in turmoil and they hadn't quite been able to get their animation uh, department together. And they were, uh, and so she said, Alan, please come and help. And he came from Disney because yeah, at yeah, Disney, yeah. he was doing all the, the DuckTales and, yeah. and, the, and the DuckTale features. So he, he, you know, he's, he's, he's like this wise, he's this, this wise, kind uncle that comes in and listens and nods. It's okay. Nice, this guy. Just, okay, let's, work it through and before you know it you've got a great season of stories because you have great story sense as well but the most quiet easygoing but effective guy i've ever met in the business and i, I make i frustrate some of our dear friends who are very talented when some people ask well if it was your money who would you put in charge of a show and i said i never hesitate i said It'd be alan because he just he w- i could trust him to not only get it done on time but to get it done right mm-hmm. and and just and and make everybody like him while he does it that's that's the mis- the mystically <laughs> strange part about it i mean it's one thing to get six people together and fight all the time and somehow come up with something good but he'd make you feel like oh yeah we all thought that didn't we and he is just that good of a writer so yeah i guess it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about just don't be a jerk and you you'll you'll go far and you don't. Re- you really don't need to. I mean, there. Everybody we know that's accomplished something. Uh, some of them were jerks. Some of them weren't. But they didn't have to be. They could have accomplished just as much without it. Wow. Yeah. That, it, it just. It, it amazes me that all, all of these ama- cool people know all these other cool people, and it's just. It, it. It always. I don't know. I get a little. Um. What's the word? Like, my, my fanboy comes out a little bit. Um. Just like. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's like it's how, what, what, how, you're not in a big town, but it's like if it this is such a company town and animation, for example, is such a corner of it that it's like we would be in a twenty thousand person town, and all six football coaches would know each other. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, they, they pro- they'd probably go to the same uh, dinners, and ha- you know, their their spouses would know each other, and the kids would know each other. And it's just, it's, it's our day job and it's what pays the mortgage. And we get, to, and you really get to know the, you, you, 
anxiously want to meet the better people in your your work because mm -hmm. you rely on them so much yeah. you know if 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 i could get a certain group of people to write for every for every show i wouldn't have any work to do because i'd know how good you know, they were done. yep wow that is yeah it still amazes me though i well i think i'm out of questions actually grant do you have any um any to do um, so do you, did you guys prefer Chip and Dale or X-Men? She wrote 14 Chip and Dales more than anybody. I always have to brag on her on that. <laughs> Thank you. And Chip and... <laughs> I love Chip and, Chip Dale. and Dale. My first job ever doing a thing that I adore in Hollywood, California. I come on Chip and Dale will forever be in my heart. Um, but we've had fun. We've tried to have fun on every show each of us has ever worked or, I don't mean fun. We've tried to do our best work for every show we've worked on. Um, there are some that are special. And for me, Chippendale is special. And for, for us, X-Men is special. Yeah. yeah, and for me, X-Men was the first show that kind of got to be mine creatively. That's right, yeah, as a showrunner. Uh, yeah, I, I'd worked for like seven years before that. And for three years at Disney, I would write episodes of things like Chippendale for other people mm -hmm. who were responsible for the tone and the focus and the running of the show. And I did that one year of Beetlejuice, but it had already been had three seasons gone and a couple other folks had really set the tone for it and built the world and made it as special as it was. So I was just kind of uh, finishing that up for them. But X-Men was the first time I got to say, okay, this, this one's mine. I want to put my stamp on it. I want this to be the show I want it to be. And lucked into having these people that made it even better as collaborators so we weren't fighting all the time sure. and i got to do that on some other shows but this was a this is the first chance that i had so it's that's why it's most special for me because it was it was not the first one that makes perfect sense for for both of you um just just thank you as a as a fan <laughs> just thank you um for all the hard work i i grew up my the first tv show i remember watching my dad introduced me to chip and dale and i'm like i i i I love it, and it's still like one of my favorites. And um, then, then X Men when I when I got a little older was my go to. And so, thank you. Um, and I I guess on that note, thank you guys so much for coming on. It, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to getting to speak with you and hearing all the stories. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean that's why we do that's you know we do the work so that people can see it and. And it's not real until we talk to people like you <laughs> that, that somebody true. actually saw it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, again, so thankful that you guys did it because it, I know it impacted me significantly. So if I could give a shout out, um, oh, I, I'm on Twitter on behalf of X-Men, the animated series. So if folks want to find us, please look for us on Twitter at X-Men TAS, which is for X-Men, the animated series. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a Facebook page. I'm trying to figure out Instagram, but we're all those different places. And our website is currently under construction for a revamp. Recon reconstruction. Reconstruction. But we do have an xmentas.com website. So I hope folks can find us. I hope they would consider perhaps looking for the books. The books. Um, the, the first one is called Previously on X-Men. And it's, I interviewed everybody on the show, people like Larry wow. and the artists and all the cast. So and, it's a perfect oral history. That so it's a real dent. It's, it's a lot of read. There's not a lot of, not a lot of art in it because we didn't really have the rights to it. We did it without Mar Marvel's help, but every, the whole history of the show, uh, 
talking to Stanley. Everybody is in that book. And the second yeah. one was done with, with Marvel's help a couple years later. And it's jam-packed with like a couple thousand wow. images, most of them in color and lots of original art, like the mm -hmm. cover. The cover is- And I wrote on this one too. Larry, Larry, <laughs> Larry Houston and uh, Rick Hoberg did the front and back covers. Oh, for that brand new, brand new artwork just for the book. And it weighs nearly four pounds. Yeah, over four pounds. Yeah, it's a dense book. <laughs> I'm gonna go make an order <laughs> um, real quick. Now, uh, Amazon is, is basically half price now. So yeah, gentlemen, a, if you're looking for- Yeah, it's a $50 book and they charge 30, so- No, 25. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode just as much as Grant and I did interviewing the Lee Wallets. It was so much fun. They have so many great stories. But if you guys enjoyed this, uh, you guys can find us on Instagram at Much Talk About Nothing. You can find us on Twitter at MTAM Podcast. You can find us on Discord. We have that linked in the description. We have a website linked in the description. And everything else linked in the description as well as the Lee Wallets. If you want to find them, they will be linked in the description as well. Um, for Grants, I have been Grant, and thank you for listening to this very long episode of Much Talk About Nothing.